Welcome to my Latinx life. Join me as I journey to learn, educate, and highlight Latinx leaders in a comfortable setting similar to your mom's kitchen. We'll explore a variety of topics with guests and reoccurring hosts. I'm your host, Joe Ardondo, and this is my Latinx life. So welcome to my Latinx life. Um, today's guest is going to be Miss Pilar Pacheco. Um, she is a great friend of mine who I've got to know during this quarantine. Uh, we actually are meeting for the first time in person. Um, so this is a fun adventure. <laughs> she came over. We're having we had some breakfast tacos and she's going to be my first guest that I'm recording with um, in person. Uh, so, yeah. Um, welcome, Pilar. Thank you. It's great to be here. And yeah, I was just thinking about that. It's we've known each other for a while throughout the pandemic um you know exchanged emails been on uh, zoom calls or whatever platform we use but it's the first time we're seeing each other in person it's it's great it's great to you know the good things about the pandemic <laughs> exactly um so my first question is who's pilar if somebody was to ask you who pilar is like how would you answer that question how do you yeah ah uh, that's a great question um i think i usually um when I introduce myself to people besides saying, hey, I'm Pilar. I usually let people know where I'm from. I'm uh, a Chilean woman um, who has been back and forth between the United States and Chile. Uh, my mam family moved to the U.S. in the late 70s. And I grew up here. Oh, and I, and I get, in a way, I grew up here because I lived in Miami since my let me see how must have been 11 12 for 17 years went back to Chile and then now I'm back here so it's it's been an interesting story so I would say a Chilean uh, woman uh, Latina uh, very um, much supporting different causes uh, social justice uh, racial justice. Um, I definitely want to see a more equal and just world for everyone. So there, those are like my values, what defines me, I want to say. And, um, you know, have a life, a, a love for life and, and, and try to do my, my little bit of goodness uh, in different ways. Okay. Um, so you identify as a woman and as a mm -hmm. Chilean. Mm -hmm. Are those your only like if you think about like how you identify in the world like because this is going to be a Latinx mm -hmm. podcast this is very much as a queer man I really want to understand how people identify especially within the Latinx community because sure. there's just this great great diaspora where we all we can't all agree on a term that identifies us using the word Latino Latina Latinx Hispanic is a whole whole other yeah. thing afro latino things like that like that's a very using indigenous roots i don't know mm -hmm. how that really ties into your identity and even and even within the hispanic or or latinx community um uh, even for me saying that i'm chilean that i'm from chile it's also a little bit in a way to educate people because sometimes latinos latinas latinx the latinx community in general we're we're all thrown into the same bag and within the Latin culture and, and, you know, the Hispanic community, the Latinx community, depending on where we're from, we also bring in, you know, different nuances, I guess, to, to the community. And it's so cool when 
especially if if you're among Spanish speaking um, uh, people, it's so cool to see um, that they do things differently or that we use different uh, slang. And sometimes we may all be speaking Spanish and have a hard time understanding each other. Yeah. So that makes it fun. And and because if I say I'm from South America, it's very different from being uh, from Central America. I mean, yeah. I don't have a culture of eating tortillas. It's just not part of my, you know, country's culture. We're our bread eating culture. And uh, so it's really cool. And I think it's the more we educate others uh, about what it means to be Latinx, it's just so, it's got so many colors and flavors. That's why I usually say, you know, uh, instead of just saying, oh yeah, I'm a Latina. And, you know, because I, I, um, I use her pronounce uh, her and, and she. And, um, but rather than just say Latina, I, I make it a point to say that I'm from Chile. No, I uh, think that's great. Uh, yeah, no, I think because like I'm visually brown and I use the term brown. Like I identify as brown. Like that is how I feel comfortable. And not everybody that's Latino feels comfortable with that because let's be honest, there's a huge colorism issue in our community and things like that. And there's that whole thing. But like I grew up, like I've told you, like I grew up in Texas. And so I identify as Tejano as my first and foremost mm-hmm. because my family has been in that area for so long. Right. Um, and yes, we come from a Mexican background and things like that. But like you said, like our food is different. Our culture, our slang is different. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. Yes. I think it's interesting because like even if we're all speaking Spanish in the same room, which all, everybody told my listeners, like my Spanish is not great and it's very limited. Um like you can hear the differences between the different communities, mm-hmm. the slangs, the yeah. just the pitch, the tempo. Everything is so different. And as we identify, I mean, a lot of that has to do with being in the U.S. and then just lumping us together because yeah. that's what we've done here. But also you just said something very interesting. You know, yes, I'm brown too. But I don't, when I speak to people or when I'm describing myself, I don't necessarily go to my color or identify myself as a person of color, although I know I am. Because, um, because I think, oh, so I, my family migrated to, to the U.S., to Miami, where I was just another Latina, you know, and we, I didn't grow up talking about my color or, you know, saying that I was a person of color. So only when I came back to the U.S., um, to Seattle or, or, or other parts of the U.S. that it's, uh, not so um, Latino. It was that's where I noticed. Oh, okay, people saying people of color. That's a thing, and and you know, which is inter- It was just interesting. I'm not saying that in, for example, in in Chile, back in Chile, um, I'm just con- I'm just one white like person. Yeah. I guess I look like everybody else. Yeah. That doesn't mean to say that there isn't. Um, Sort, some sort of racism or discrimination because there is, for example, there's uh, classism. If you, depending on on your family's income or your family's last name, and of course, if you're a little lighter and you know you have um, very fair skin and and blonde hair, all of those things do exist, and it's true. And 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 the newer generations are are fighting just like here to have a more equal and, and just uh, society. But anyway, so that's why I, I, that doesn't come to mind immediately when I'm describing myself. And it's like, I would rarely, if ever say, oh, I'm Pilar. 
uh, a woman of color. But I'm proud to be a woman of color. Yeah. You know, but I usually just associate um, or or call out that I'm from Chile. And, and I love telling people what that's all about, too. Yeah. No, I think that that's very interesting. I think it's two very being two different types of people growing up in two different parts of the world during different times. Uh, there's probably a generational thing between that also not to make you feel like you're old, by the way, um, and not to say like I'm super young either. I should have said I'm a woman. I'm a Chilean woman in her early 50s with a very young heart. And you look great for 50. <laughs> Let me just tell all my listeners. Yes, 100%. Pilar looks great. Great personality. Um, beautiful. Mm-hmm. And the sun is just shining beautifully. The little bit of sun we have on our b- on typical Pacific Northwest rainy, gloomy day, which makes no sense either. Um, so, yeah. Great way to identify yourself and really acknowledge that, yeah, for you coming from your background, the piece of the color does not point out as much as it does your background and where you come from and your cultural identity, I think. So I love that you identify as a Chilean woman and that's how you identify. Yeah, which doesn't mean that I haven't been discriminated against. Yeah, no. You know, growing up in like in Miami, uh, I want to say, let me see, I must have been like in high school. And I dated, I started dating a white American man, young man at that time. And his family couldn't stand me. It's like, I couldn't even call the house. Whenever I called the house, I got hung up on. And, um, and it was really weird. He didn't live with his parents. He lived with his sister. So I didn't have to deal with them that much. But whenever I did, yeah. So that was, that was just, I think that was one of the times that I, it's just sticks in my mind so much because they were really mean and said really nasty things sometimes. So it was, and, and I got to see the struggle, uh, you know, of my boyfriend, of course, you know, loving his family, parents or, or grandmother and having to stand up to them. So yeah, we've all had our share of discriminations, I guess. A hundred percent. We can, I can agree with that one. Um, so the next question is really, you work at the Gates Foundation, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. This is an all around podcast about who Pilar is and things like that. Um, so the Gates Foundation is a very interesting background, um, and mostly because your background is very interesting as well and why you're at the Gates Foundation. So why at the Gates Foundation and why philanthropy now? Yeah. So, um, I, you know, if when I come to think about this, I don't think I've ever worked for a for profit organization or company <laughs> um I'm, I'm maybe yeah maybe like in my uh very early days um or maybe when i was in high school i worked at a store or something but but for the most part i've worked for either an ngo or a government organization i worked for for government in chile for a really long time and then ended up um getting hired by the bill and melinda gates foundation um, so I've been at the foundation for nine years and, um, before that I, I, so I moved to Seattle, I relocated to Seattle from Chile. I had gone back to Chile in 1996 after, you know, g- getting my degree and, and my, um, I have a bachelor's in education and, and doing, and, you know, working for a few years, but I decided that I wanted to go back and do something for my own community, my, you know, uh, my roots. So I went back and my plan was 
three to five years. I ended up staying 12, close to 15, I guess. Um, and uh, I worked uh, in education. I worked in an NGO um, doing education programs for mostly for underserved communities and especially uh, women uh, who were at risk of domestic violence and um, literacy program for women. There were a lot of... Um, I always thought, oh, Chile's got a great literacy level, pretty high. Yeah. But it wasn't. Sometimes statistics don't tell you the whole story. Yeah. And uh, ended up working, doing different things, ended up working for the Ministry of Education for the public library system. And long story short, this program that I was working for got a grant from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Okay. And I was leading the training uh, unit. Okay. And uh, and I was one of the few people who spoke English in the team. Okay, so that helped. <laughs> so I was part of the leadership team because I, I you know, I led the, the training um, unit and one of the few people who spoke English. So I got invited to a lot of meetings and... The team at the Gates Foundation, who were also launching their program from, they had actually supported public libraries in the U.S., had connected them to the internet, and they were starting to go global. Yeah. And Chile was one of the first countries. Okay. And um, they were kind of learning with us. And um, so I, I have this real, I don't know if it's a good thing or not, I think it's good but i can't stay quiet in meetings so every time there were meetings or conferences or you know with people from other countries or the gates foundation i would have questions or comments and once um let me see in 2010 20 yeah 2010 there was a position open and i was asked if they if i wanted to apply for the position i'm like yeah sure why not and um, that was maybe late 20, 2009. And then there was this big earthquake in 2010 in Chile. So I decided to stay for the year because um, there were there was a lot to do. And I ended up um, joining the foundation in July 2011 in a program. It was called Global Libraries, a program that doesn't exist anymore. Um, philanthropy doesn't at least the Gates Foundation and most philanthropy doesn't fund things in perpetuity. Yeah. The, the idea is you catalyze change with your funding. And in the case of the Gates Foundation, we, we work with our partners, with our grantees, with the organizations that we support, and we learn with them and from them so that whatever, you know, for any any lessons learned, any um, challenges that they've overcome, any even mistakes they've made, yeah. we take that and and that's information that we can use to support other organizations. Yeah. So um, so that's been really it's it's a great learning opportunity. So after the global libraries program, the closure was announced in 2014 that it was going to close gradually. Yeah. I moved to other teams and for the past, let me see, two years, I've been working in the emergency response team. Yeah. And what we do is that, um, what I do is, um, we work in the humanitarian sector. We fund, um, early relief, activities yeah um whenever there's a disaster 
uh, some sort of emergency as <laughs> as now. <laughs> how, how very true right now. Right? It's been a busy 2020. Um, and but we but in addition to just, you know, going with our small funding, because it's not a whole lot, a small funding to kick off a relief effort. We also have other um, initiatives in our strategy, and that one of them is to build capacity in organiza- organizations, and that's what I do. I work with organizations um, to help them understand what capacities they need to, to be more efficient and effective, and you know, I kind of point out ways in which they can do that and so that they can develop a project or a program to help themselves and their communities, because that's, you know... That's um, the ultimate goal. How do you help your communities? And uh, there's also um, a work stream on innovation in the humanitarian sector. So, yeah, pretty cool stuff. So in your capacity building role, do you primarily work in like Central and South America? Because that is where you're from and your background and you have the cultural ties and the Spanish speaking and things like that. Or do you work everywhere? That's really uh, that's a good question, because anyone who knows uh well the the gates foundation will know that the gates foundation doesn't necessarily focus in the americas um there it's a family foundation and they have decided to focus their funding and support in africa sub-saharan africa and in india bangladesh you know kind of like south asia yeah however our team the humanitarian or emergency response team because emergencies happen pretty much anywhere. And there are countries that are more vulnerable than others. Yeah. We get a little bit more flexibility in Central America and and the southern cone of South America yeah. are very vulnerable places. Yeah. They're hot spots for earthquakes, volcano eruptions, hurricanes. Yeah. You name it, they have it. So, um I I primarily work with uh, an organization in Central America and uh, another one in South America. But they're more, instead of doing like one organization per country, I work with regional organizations. So in Central America, um, I work with a network of networks and it's uh, four countries in one program okay. and then do you feel uh, comfortable sharing that on the show the name of the sure it's that uh, people could probably oh help absolutely out like that oh that would be great this is i'm going to say the name in spanish and then i'll say it in in, in english yeah. so it's concertación regional para la gestión de riesgos and it's a disaster management uh, regional network of central america and it's uh four countries it's um el salvador honduras guatemala and nicaragua and they do great stuff with um, preparedness for their communities. And, um, you know, they do some relief work. They're actually right now implementing a project that we're funding uh, because they have been suffering a huge drought okay. for the past year. Yeah. Climate change has really taken its toll on different regions of the world. Either they'll have extensive drought and then they'll have a super rainy season so it's like you lose your crops because of the there's no there's no water there's no water and then because there's too much water. water yeah so it's like it's a matter of working with the community to see what other alternatives there are you know maybe maybe other crops or maybe some techniques so you know working with them there and in South America I work with a intergovernment uh, agency okay um, and that's Peru Bolivia Colombia and Ecuador Okay. So it's different because the one in Central America, they're 
they're all um, NGOs. Okay. And the one in South America, they're all government institutions. So I Got get it. to see a little bit of both sides. Cool. So for listeners that may not know what an NGO is, do you want to describe what that sure, is and what it's, it stands for? Yep. It's a non-government organization and they represent civil society. People like us, you know, it's yeah. so usually when we think about the humanitarian sector or emergencies, we associate government, mm-hmm. you know, like here in the U.S., US you say, okay, FEMA, FEMA, yeah. FEMA comes and, and they're the ones who lead. And that's and absolutely, well, with the pandemic, the same thing is, yeah. you know, CDC and, and, and um, health department. So yeah. and they lead it, but there's a lot of other type of support. Um, for example, the private sector is very involved yeah. now with the pandemic with, for example, vaccine development. Yeah. And or the PPE, the protective equipment that you have to use yeah. so that we can see the private sector involved. But NGOs, local organizations um, are also involved in many, for example, in Central America and even in South America and everywhere. There's sometimes tension with the government and the community might not trust the government so much. However, they have. They trust local ngos more so an ngo comes in handy for example for educational programs okay on you know how you with everything now for example washing your hands and all of this hygiene um uh, programs so they do that and and they're closer to the community in a way sometimes there's a a non-governmental organization or a local organization in places where there aren't too many government services yeah so yeah. the NGOs really help build the community sometimes in ways that the government can't either because of distrust or that they just don't have the actual infrastructure for the government to be there. Exactly. Exactly. Great. Okay. So it's great that you get to work with both of them and things like that. So you did talk about, you used to work in education. Now you're working in capacity building. So that's an interesting path and things like that. Um, so what kind of took you on that path of working in education? Now you're working in the philanthropy while yes, you probably were not making millions of dollars in either one of them, unless I secretly don't know that Pilar's a millionaire and she's going to buy this <laughs> beautiful $2 million home down the road. Um, don't I wish it seems like this is kind of your field. Like you yeah. like being better forwarded by it, American standards. And it's so funny because you know, when I say I work at the Gates foundation, of course, Bill Gates, yep. Microsoft, and 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 multi-billionaire. But I, I always joke and say, you know, it's like Microsoft makes the money, we spend it. We give it away. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, different, very different realities. Yeah. Uh, not saying that, you know, we have, I want to say, I think uh, as far as philanthropy goes, we're um, philanthropy organizations. I can't complain. You're very well funded. Uh, I'm Let's just very speak. well funded. <laughs> um, but... Um, you know, it is a different world than than uh, corporate America, yeah. and that's okay. So my my yes, I my degree is in education, special ed. I uh, I, I majored in special ed, learning disabilities. That's what it was called back then. Now it's called special needs, and um, and I did that for a while, working in public schools uh, in Miami, and then went back. Went to Chile, wanted to get back to my community. My family had decided to leave Chile in the late 70s. Uh, Chile was uh, in a dictatorship period. It was difficult um, in different ways, and it impacted families differently. And um, so my parents decided to move. We had family in Miami. That's why 
we we went there. And I had gone back to Chile during my teenage years. And I had, so I, I got to see a lot of stuff that other people, I guess, didn't see. Yeah. Um, you know, like human rights violations. I had friends who were incarcerated, tortured. And it's like, I once the country regained democracy, I felt like I wanted to give something back. And so I went there and I joined an NGO, a local <laughs> organization working in um, education for for underserved communities. It, they uh, they started out with kind of like a GED program, you yeah. know, for high school equivalency. Yeah. They had this night school where they, where they worked with domestic workers and uh, women. So I started doing that a little bit more and did a lot of like education programs for that organization, for that NGO and a language school. And when I was in the language school, someone approached me, you know, I, oh, at that time I had also been doing a little, a little bit of consultancy with the Ministry of Education okay. in Chile for um, teachers of English. Okay. You know, trying to help them out and and, and, and evaluating, uh, doing assessment of programs yeah. for like uh, professional development courses. Anyways, got into this um, uh, job at the National System of Public Libraries and it was great. So I took my education. Uh, so I think I just started focusing more on adult education rather than the special needs. Yeah. And I started seeing that um, organizational development, it's an interesting thing. It's, and, and seeing that sometimes organizations, it's not that they can't do the work. They just need to build certain components yeah. Of their organization, but they need support to to really identify what it is. Got it. Or where they lack yeah. either the skills. Finding those gaps or, and then trying to figure the out gaps. how to fix exactly. them. Exactly. So I got a master's degree in Chile. I also wanted to have the experience of going to school in Chile. So I got a master's degree in organizational development and culture. Organizational okay. culture. So I so I when she's ready, she can that. come to the hospital and she can work in our. Oh, really? Yeah, we're ready. <laughs> See, there's, we have a good learning department and I we will just figure out how to get you there. <laughs> it's it's just so fascinating working with organization and asking the sometimes the tough questions because yeah. you're looking at it from the outside and making people think and just doing a few exercises here and there. And then they realize, oh, we do have a gap. We do have <laughs> a gap in this. And, you know, and thinking... My idea is that you don't tell them, hey, this is what you need or this is what you should do. They can figure it out themselves. Yeah. It's just have giving them the space and facilitating the process. So that's what I like to do. And and that's how I got involved in in this, you know, working with the library system and, and then the Gates Foundation. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, that's a fun it's little not path. A, not a very linear. No. <laughs> But like, is life? Let's be honest. Like, life's not linear. Exactly. Like, uh, I mean, some people plan their lives like step by step, like in baffled. a ladder, yeah. and it's like, no, that's not me. That baffles <laughs> me when people are like, "I'm gonna do this by the time I'm 19, and then I'm gonna graduate, and then I'm gonna be married, and then I'm gonna work on my math." I'm like, I don't know what I'm having for dinner on yeah, Friday, and it's and, Thursday. And now, in these times of uncertainty, yeah, I think that, in a way, those of us who haven't 
led this linear path. We're having an okay time adapting to this. I mean, 100%. you know, I do like to plan and in a way in the sense that I want to know where I'm going to go on vacation in August or if I'm going to travel in October. And that's as far as my planning goes. But you're you know? also okay if things change. Like, but I'm not, okay. Yeah. I am totally okay. Like some people cannot change. adapt to that change. Yeah. And that is, I think those people have really struggled during this yeah. pandemic. Like they're just struggling. Like I have colleagues, I have friends. They're just like, I can't deal with this. This is too much. I'm like a hundred percent. Cause you're just so used to your life being so planned out that I'm like, I don't really know 90% like what my yeah. day is going to look like. Yes. I have a calendar and I have meetings and yeah. I have things that I have to do. Yeah. Or you adjust and overcome this. That's why we're going to see with businesses now that oh, yeah. are struggling. And, and I think that's why entrepreneurs or small businesses may have a really good chance. Some of them, because they just need to be so creative and innovative that because that's how they survive anyways. Yeah. I think that they're going to adapt a little faster than than large businesses. I agree. So it'll be interesting. But yeah, yeah. Not a linear path to where I am today and who knows where I'll be tomorrow. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. Um, so yeah, we're going to now move and in, transition into the whole, how we met our relationship. We kind of touched on it just a little bit, um, but we didn't really go into how we met and what our relationship is and things like that. Um so I will just start off and say that we kind of met because we were pulled together by another friend of ours, Angelica, who works over at the Bank of America at Bank of America. Um, she pulled a bunch of people together to create this Latinx summit. And it was really about large companies in the area that had really had employee resource groups or ERGs that had Latino situate like Latino groups that we come together to create this summit. And it sounds like the summit had been going on for a little bit, but we were really growing it. And you've been part of the summit for the last couple of years. So you have a little bit more insight than some of the rest of us. And there's nine of us that are doing it together. And now we've pivoted a little bit because of the world pandemic and <laughs> us not being able to meet in person. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's been a journey. Yeah. So it's been a fun journey because, like you said, like we've only met each other <laughs> basically via calls and video conferences for what now four months almost. Yeah. And like I've met Angelica in person. Yeah. And I'm sure I must have met you maybe at the summit last year, but you must have been running around doing things. I'm like, I'm almost positive I've met her, but I don't know for sure. You probably did. I hosted. I was the the moderator in the panel with uh with North, I was a moderator in the panel with uh, local orgs, Northwest Immigrant Rights Project, uh, Centro de la Raza, and I think we had Latino Community Fund. Yes, I was a moderator. That's so you what... must have seen me on stage. Yes, I did. <laughs> then in case, yes, I was very in tune to that. Um, so yes, I did meet Pilar before this. <laughs> I did see her. Um, so it's so perfect that she's on today's episode. Too. Um, and during this time, I feel like as I've decided to do this podcast out of the group I was like I know I want to interview everybody in this group because they all have an interesting story but you were the first one that came to my mind um and I kind of live by the rule of like I get I trust my gut and some people think that that's weird and I get it that I work in healthcare and I work in a very corporate field and I work more on the IT side of things so telling people like I just trust that this is the right thing doesn't always sit right but I'm very glad that you're on today and 
I feel like I can, I will call you a friend. You don't have to use that term with me. So please know that like, that's just like my very Texan Latino way to say like, I like you. So you're more than welcome <laughs> to come over at any given time. Um, I walked in and I hugged you and I didn't even ask you. <laughs> yeah, see, exactly. So I think that, I think it's, I think that that's what it was. It was like, we just felt very comfortable. We both come from out of the nine companies were the two technical nonprofits of the group, mm-hmm. which I always felt uncomfortable using the term nonprofit. Cause I'm also like, we're multi we make more than enough money at the hospital. Like I know that like we're giving a lot of it away and we're doing things for the better. But when I think of nonprofit, I think of like the small struggling, like person on the ground doing the work. And I'm like, I guess we're doing the good work, but it still feels funny (laughs) for me to use that term for us. Um, So I think that our relationship has very much differs than some of the other relationships in the group whenever we have these calls. And it's a great group. Like, let's just be very honest. Like it is a great group of people. Great group. Um, I've kind of come, gotten used to like i look forward to my thursday call with y'all like it's kind of like a good reprieve where like yes we're talking about stuff and we're doing things but it's also like laid back it's a little different like the meeting format's very different it's a lot more laid back we're just having fun and because i guess technically none of us are responsible to each other (laughs) it feels different (laughs) um so yeah and then our relationships are just a huge part of our lives every day um we have all types of different relationships um, how do you think that you manage your relationships? Because we're going to talk about a few things, your family, we're going to talk about your boyfriend and him <laughs> being in a whole nother country yes. right now and living in another stranded. country, stranded in another country. <laughs> your family is kind of split up between yeah. the U S and Chile. Like how do you manage relationships. these relationships? Yeah. And it was interesting because when I moved to, so I had been to Seattle before moving for good. I had been to Seattle in early 2000 and then 2001. And both times I had been here for more than like a couple of months. So, you know, but both times, well, the first time I stayed with a family uh, who'd come from Ecuador, um, so that was, you know, interesting. They had been here for years. Um, and I also met someone from El Salvador. But not until I moved for good in uh, 2011 did I realize, I was like, there are not that many Latinos here. You know, there there are not that many people of color. And depending general. on what part of Seattle you are. Yeah. Because exactly. like when I first moved here, I lived in like South Everett, Mill Creek line. Oh, okay. So like that was just, I yep. was in a white suburbia. Yeah. Like soccer moms. Yeah. Like it was not a place that like felt comfortable. Yeah. I lived in Fremont. And although Fremont had the cool vibe of, you know, the hipstery, grungy. Yeah. You know, and it was cool. I must have been the only brown person in my neighborhood, in my part of the neighborhood. So, yeah, that already was like, okay, this is kind of new <laughs> it's we're not in miami anymore or we're <laughs> definitely not in chile so um so what i did i did first is that i wanted to see if there were other chilenos chilenas living in seattle so i went on i think i googled it or something and there was a facebook group that i joined so and then i met people so i i kind of like this in a little bit in a, in a way I um, must have, I think I joined and I must have been on that group online for a month until I met a few people in person. And those, some of those people remain my friends until today. And so I went to the foundation and it was, the foundation is a very white place. 
very white. As nonprofit is because they can afford to. And and we have people from, you know, we have people from different parts of the world, but it's still predominantly white. So um, we have we hire people from South Asia and from Africa. And we do have a very, very small Latino community uh, because our education program, which is U.S. education, uh, of course, the beneficiaries are people of color. Yeah. So and that's something that internally we've been pushing for more. It's like our workforce at least needs to be a little bit more representative of the people we serve. Exactly. Um, even even uh, people who we hire from Africa, for example, even they've come, moved here and some people have left because they didn't feel comfortable. Not not well maybe at the foundation it was just a little strange, but in the community itself it's yeah, been there's difficult a struggle for to them. adapt. So when I joined in 2011 I was like okay, this is kind of weird. So the you know the very few Latinos there we we met somewhat regularly and I found out there was a group of Latinos who just sat around and wanted to eat lunch with people <laughs> who looked like us or ate the same things we ate, yeah. whatever. So that, um, so that's when I think 2014, maybe the foundation started become, becoming more intentional about uh, ERGs. Yeah. And uh, ERGs were formally created, although we had been meeting kind of like underground (laughs) underground movement the resistance (laughs) there was an underground movement of 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 different so we have a a black philanthropic partnerships erg and an asians in philanthropy latinos in philanthropy um women uh, a group of women uh are you know out for good uh erg so it's like all of these groups you know that had some sort of affinity yeah and um so back then so like I said, the f- Latinos at the foundation represent maybe one percent of the total workforce. Wow. It's super, super low. Yeah. So, you know, we do some activities at the foundation, and you know, to to raise awareness, also to call for action for certain things. But we realized that we also needed to network outside the foundation because that's just our reality. Yeah. And. We wanted to connect with others. So in 2015, we started reaching out to ERGs and Starbucks and Microsoft and uh, AT&T, I remember, was part of that. Um, trying to remember the other ones, maybe Expedia. But we've this is a, a network on and off that has uh, grown and has evolved in different ways. Yeah. And we had a... a 2016 we must have had the first um erg summit and that was held at starbucks okay yeah so maybe 50 people 60 people in attendance it was it was really good half a day then we had another one at starbucks probably the year after 20 yeah 16 17 so we've we've had that we've have, we've had one. So this would be if if I count the the other two that we had initially, 
Uh, this will be the fourth one that we were planning for. Okay. The second one where Bank of America got involved. So I met Angelica for the 2019 one yes. that we organized. So I met her in late 2018. And she is a ball of energy. And so she's got that. And um, she'll be on the show. Eventually. Oh, good, her and good, Esther good, good. are both going to be on the show. They are amazing well. women who have this energy and this. And, and I have to admit that sometimes i have you know my own stereotype in mind of people who work in corporate organizations uh and or companies and and um and that's not good and they've educated me yeah in the sense of you know here are these people who come from corporate america and who work you know for and stand up for the same things that i do and we just hit it off. They're amazing people. So this network has grown. So last year we held the Latino ERG Summit in March, I want to say, late March, er- right. early April. And there must have been 100, 150 people. Yeah. So that was super well attended. It was so much work. But it was so rewarding. Yeah. I, it was just great. So it was a great day. And and it's and it's a day of um, professional development um, uh, sessions mixed with interesting panels with a lot of networking. Yeah. And uh, and we wanted to build on that. And we were shooting for doing a what two hundred and fifty. Yeah, well, that's what we were shooting for. <laughs> and yeah, twenty twenty had other things planned for us. Yep. <laughs> she had a whole another adventure for us. <laughs> She's like, nah, this is going to yeah. be... Yeah, let me just throw a wrench in that and have you be innovative. <laughs> so, yeah, we're, we're, we're quickly changing that. But I want to say that that's the cool thing. It's like, I know in person, I know Angelica from that group, Angelica and Esther. Uh, and the rest of the people I, you know... Oh, and I know Julissa from, from Starbucks. Okay. But the rest, I, I met you guys online yeah and it's so cool and interesting how and we have our our partner from microsoft who loves to remind us that he's in his 50s and (laughs) that he's you know like old school and i'm like come on dude you're online meeting us and you work for microsoft (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but it's like and we all i think have different personalities and come from different backgrounds oh yeah 100 percent. and it's so cool how we get along and you know we throw ideas and and you know and here we are on our way to having our first online session pretty soon so i'm excited super excited about that also yeah so do you chair your erg there at the gates foundation like i know that i chair the um we call them we don't call them ergs which for people who are listening ergs are employee resource groups and they're really there to be a resource for employees who identify in a specific way or want to be an ally in a specific way i think it's really important to recognize like many of our groups have allies i know for our group Yes, while we may be in healthcare, we have we have a great group of people who are allies in our group also as well. They're at the hospital. And so I chair it and that's really why I'm working with this group. Do you chair the group or are you just part of the I leadership? Do. Okay. So I'm part so uh it's a little bit so we do have a leadership team. Uh-huh. And uh so I'm part of the leadership team. There's four of us. And two of us are kind of like the the representatives of our ERG with the diversity uh, equity and inclusion team at the foundation so 
my colleagues based my other colleague is based in Washington DC in our office there and I'm here so yeah we're the face you're the face of the <laughs> we're Latinos the in philanthropy. Face of Latinos in philanthropy, yeah. Right. And in addition, <laughs> it's like now that I'm thinking about it, it's like when do I find time to just watch TV? <laughs> um, I um, because our program, the Latinos in Philanthropy at the foundation, and all of the employee resource groups, we wanted to give back to our community, and that's something that the Gates Foundation encourages a lot. Yeah, it's like you know, we we should give back to our community. So find. They give us opportunities to volunteer, and there's day of caring. Yeah, um, y'all do MLK Day. Uh, we of service do yeah, we do a with couple of things. Way. Okay, yeah, with United Way exactly, and we do a couple of things, or more than a couple during the year, yeah. uh, and we host. Um, we're, we're allowed to host uh, tables at um, fundraising events. Okay, so it you know it um, there's there's a lot of encouragement to give back and. We had a com- what we called a community partners program. So each uh, ERG selected two organizations that you wanted to more intentionally give back to. Okay. So you know we have we've had throughout the years a few, but through that program I got more familiar with Casa Latina. Yeah. And I started working a little bit more with them and because they do a lot on uh, workers' rights and um, also uh, leadership for leadership programs for women, I got more and more involved and I joined their board of directors. Yes. So I, you know, I was like, okay, I can volunteer and I can donate, but I want to be more involved. So and I said Pilar was not busy enough. She now sits <laughs> on the board of directors for a nonprofit in the area, and travels the world, and has <laughs> so much. I don't know where she finds all this time, but. But it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a small thing, I guess to do in comparison to what they do for the community so so yeah so that's why i'm also excited about what we've done with our group um our erg groups uh, working for the summit and and actually now going virtual with the summit in a way because we all care about giving back too you know it's like of course we want to network we want to meet other latino professionals and uh yeah grow our networks and um, in in the process, if we can get some uh, professional development, that's great. But we also want to learn more about giving back. Yeah. You know, and that I think it's great. Which was really great because even our corporate people yeah. were very adamant. Oh They're God. like, no, we want to do that. That's we just amazing. That's just not, we can't, yeah. that's not our focus. So it's yeah. not always. And I think that we've been very lucky because they've taken a lot of our ideas and just let yeah, us run with them. Absolutely. And so. And that's cool. because, And that, I think, helps to nurture relationships. Yeah. Yeah. We don't sit there and talk about politics because it's, you know, I I know that even among the Linux community, we all have different beliefs. And, you know, I respect that. That's yes. As I was telling you about my very conservative parts of <laughs> We're my We're very <laughs> diverse. And yeah. I, I respect that. I may not agree with that, but, you know, hey. But here it's what drives this. Our relationship is we care about our community, about growing our network and giving back. So I think that's that's really cool. And doing interesting things like you. It's like, wow, your own podcast. That's cool. <laughs> which i don't find that interesting but i love that everybody's <laughs> so enthralled with it and i'm just like 
okay, like, yeah, if you were willing to be on it, like, I 100% will not turn down somebody who wants to be on the podcast because I'm like, I think when I started, like, this idea, I was like, I mean, I have lots of people I interact with. I was like, but I don't know if they want to be on a podcast. Like, do people want to be interviewed? Like, is this something that people would even care about? Like, but, like, everybody has 100% oh, been very supportive. So cool. As I'm reminded, I'm the young one of the group, which I never feel like I'm the young one of the group. Um, because I definitely think that there's probably other people in the group that are just as young as me, if not younger. Um, as our colleague reminds me, I'm the young one of the group. <laughs> the uh, millenni- I'm the millennial. I'm the millennial of the group. Um, yeah, I think that that was one of the things I struggled with. It was, like, were people going to want to be this? Are people going to want to listen? And I think I've had a really great support system and things like that. Join us on the next episode as we explore more of Pilar's story and how she got to where she is. I want to thank everybody for joining me on this episode. You can follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and at our website under My Latinx Life. You can shoot us an email with any types of feedback, suggestions, anything that you have, um, all at mylatinxlife at gmail.com. Slide into our DMs. And whatever platform you're listening on, remember, give us a good rating, share us with your friends and family. Um, anything's appreciated so uh see you next time thanks